Live from the summit in Miami, Florida, the Core presents Sales Training Boot Camp with Eric Colby and Josh Sigmund. Today's topic, Delegation for Lenders, Minimizing the Micromanagement of Your Team. We're going to get rolling here. Um, the title of this class is Proper Delegation and Minimizing the Micromanaging of Your Team. I had to read that because that was kind of a tongue twister. But uh, I want to start you guys off. I want to pose you with a question. Uh, raise your hand if you made more money last year than you've ever made in your career. Okay? Now I want you to think about this. If you had the opportunity to work in your business, on your business, at your business, 25% less time, but still make the amount of money that you did or can, how much of your income would you be willing to give up to, how much of your income would you be willing to give up for 25% less? You had to, you had to work 25% less, but could make the same amount. How much would you give up? Turn to the person to your right and tell them what that number is. All right, everybody tell the number, okay? It's going to segue, segue me into my next point. So um, I'm going to transition a little bit here. I'm, I'm going to go back my my fourth semester in the core. There's a reason I think that it's a two-year graduate program because you don't really get it until that fourth semester. Uh, I was fortunate enough to have Josh in my fourth semester, and... He really changed, I mean, he changed my life. He, he, it was that pivotal moment in coaching where I realized, uh, wow, this is, this is what I have to do to get there. I was working still 70, 80 hours a week, making great money, doing all the work, but not paying attention to my family, not having time. I was stressed. I was overworked. I was like, I got into this core program because I was already this, and it's three semesters later, and I feel like I've added more work and more things that I needed to do because I joined the core. And he said, he posed that question to me. And he said, how much, it was a little different. He said, how much uh, of your income would you be willing to give up if you could have eight more hours a week with your family? And I said, I don't know, $100,000. And he's like, cool. By, our, by the end of the month, you're going to hire two $50,000 employees. And I was like, oh, man, well, maybe, maybe 40000 No, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't change. So anyway, um, Fast forward, I did it. And the amazing part about all that is it helped me understand I had to commit to hiring these people, first of all, which made me scared because now I need to work more, right, so I can pay them. He's like, nope, you can't do it that way. You have to start delegating. You have to give things up if you really want that. If you don't really want it, don't hire the people. So uh, long story short, changed my career. Um, worked less hours, made more money. Crazy how that works. So Josh has been pivotal guy for me. I remember the first time I met Josh, uh, 2013. It was a, a, a Mega and a Shayla Gifford at the time had introduced me. And I remember we're riding in the car over to, to the hotel. And she's like, you got to meet this guy, Josh Sigmund. He made $300,000 last month. And at, I was like, no way. Like, how can that be? He's like, and he's a loan officer and this and that. And I was like, okay. now he makes that a week, I think. Maybe every three or four days. But uh, 
anyway, it was impressive to see, and and he has the ability to to change. I know anybody who's ever had him as a coach, and not even that, just anybody who's listened to him on stage, you probably have some nuggets that are like the most simple things that you could even think of, but they are the most impactful. So I'm excited to be teaching with you, buddy. Thank you. Remember that number. <laughs> well, and uh, I, I know that Eric is uh, very qualified to teach this class. So if you don't know his history, separate of being a world-class producer on his own accord, uh, he basically jumped out in a leap of faith and took and created a mortgage division of a bank that did not have a mortgage division and actually was able to do that in a matter of a few years without adding hours. So when you think about, you know, how many hours you're already working now, and I think all of us are a little bit exhausted and excited to be exhausted because we like to be needed again, right? The truth of the matter is Eric went over and basically created his own new branch at a new company and did mega production all within a very few number of years. And so basically what he was able to do is uh, what I think is the most important where it shows mastery of the subject. And so I'm gonna, uh, this is why I want you to pay attention to what he has to say. I think mastery of a subject is demonstrated when you first, if you think about training, it's you got to show somebody how to do it, number one, and they have to show you, and you just sit there and watch quietly and let them make mistakes, but then when they can teach somebody else to do it, it's mastery of the subject. And so uh, very, very, very much qualified. And so here's kind of where we run with it. So I know in this classroom, there's, you know, people all scales. you got just individual producers, which is fantastic. You've got some branch managers. You've got some owners in this group, and you've got some people that are trying to do it all. And... Um, and so whether you're stressed doing it all, stressed as a producer, stressed as an owner, a branch manager, and a core coach on top of that for some of us, is really comes, it really comes down to your ability to delegate and manage people. And so um, when I go back, I just figured this out. I've been doing this for 17 years now in the core, and a lot of people know that the very first core I went to, the only thing I came back from it with was I got to hire somebody. And so when I came back, my first 30 days was just find an assistant to do something. And I didn't have the details and knowledge, and I didn't pick up anything else other than some of bullet point D personality. You know, I was just told, go hire somebody, so I just went and hired somebody. But I didn't know what they were going to do. I just knew I couldn't afford very much, right? So I want to kind of walk you through a mental game real fast, and then I'm going to show you how I hired my first person, which is really important to understand that, because it still applies towards every hire I do to this day. And it's an easy skill to teach. So for those guys that are branch managers or are owners or do have, if there's realtors in the room, you have buyer's agents, it's a skill set to teach other people to make sure that you've actually mastered the subject yourself, right? And so when I went back, uh, all I started by doing was I just uh, tracked every 30 minutes of my life for the next two weeks, like every single 30 minutes. And I just write down what I do the last 30 minutes, what I do the last 30 minutes, what I do the last 30 minutes. Because let's be honest, whether it's a good year, a bad year, a tough year, a big volume year, or a year like this year, we're always busy. It's magical how you always work your whatever hours you choose to work, and that's a cho- it is a choice. You're a 40-hour-a-week person or a 50-hour-a-week person or a 70-hour-a-week person. I don't care what it is. You're always magically busy whether you're productive or not. True statement? You're working what your dad worked or your mom worked. You're working what the work ethic is that was kind of ingrained in you, not a real number. So the assumption then has to be, and these are the two things that Eric and I talked about ahead of time that we want to really drive home. First thing you've got to do is you've got to assume you can make more in less time regardless of the market. That's the first thing you've got to assume. You've got to assume you can make more in less time with a better life regardless of the market. Okay? And so I'll tell you the second one a little bit later, but if you start with that assumption then, then 
going back to the story, I was tracking every 30 minutes what I was doing, what I, regardless of what I should be doing or not, it was what I was actually doing. And when you go through just the first half of this day, there's lots of things that you wrote down from our amazing speakers. You're like, crap, I learned that 10 years ago and I stopped doing it about two years ago, or I don't even remember why I stopped doing it, but I should go back and do the basics all over again, right? And so it goes back to that constant concept. And so I want you guys to throw out, could you be a scribe for just a second? Just why don't you make a list on the left side, kind of make a T-chart for me. Sure. And I just want, uh, it's on the back side there, Eric. So what I want you guys to do is kind of yell out some things that you're busy doing all day, all week, all month right now. So Jeremy, like just throw out anything that's an activity, any activity that you're taking a lot of, of your time on a weekly or monthly basis. A lot of time. Outbound, Outbound phone calls. Good. Emails. Emails. Redoing numbers. Redoing numbers. What? Putting out fires, problem solving. Meetings. meetings. What kind of meetings? Uh, Management meetings, pre-op meetings. Recruiting. Recruiting. Training. Training. Therapy. Therapy. <laughs> Self-medication. <laughs> what else? Seriously, keep going. Emails, I heard that already. Kids. Kids. Text, messages. Text messages. The devil. Social media, the real devil. Videos. Handwritten thank cards. What else? Kids again. Core students. Need my extra time. Excellent. Her training. Anything else? Really think about. Now, get away from the standard answers. Like, if you think about, like, what takes time in your day, that's not necessarily something that you want to do, but you have to do. You feel like you have to. What are some of those things? Driving. What else? Managing. So, be more specific in managing. Okay, so maybe pipeline management, right? What else? Payroll. What else? Buying food for the team. Now we're getting somewhere. What else? Working on culture, keeping these people happy, keeping them on the farm. What else? Team meetings. Working out. Good. Empathy. You mean caring? Okay, good. Empathy. Where am I spending time with that? Empathy, empathy, empathy. Okay, being present. What do they call that? The four corners? Walking the four corners? Tapping people on the shoulder? Seeing how they're doing check-ins, right? Eating a lot. Eating a lot. Cool. So let's just kind of stop there. So here's kind of a, a, a basic list, okay? So basically all the exercise was is let's assume that this was my list literally 17 years ago, measuring every half hour and the half hour, all the stuff I did. Um, what I did next was I just literally sat there and circled all this stuff that I like doing and should be doing, it would make me money or it would save me time. So let me say that again. Likes doing, should be doing, made me money or saved me time. And then everything else that was left were the job duties of my first hire. Whatever I like doing, should be doing, made me money or saved me time, that was my job duties. And everything else was somebody else's. I didn't know how to make it any more simple than that because I didn't have an instruction book about how to do it. But literally, if you think about what you're doing right now, the assumption is you're probably wasting 40% of your time, possibly greater, doing stuff that needs to be done but doesn't have to be done by you and certainly is not the highest dollar productive activity or something you should be doing. It just needs to be done. Uh, I heard payroll is a great example, 
Reading emails is a great example. Uh, feeding the team, important, not your job. Uh, culture, you can actually delegate portions of culture, like culture committees. So there's lots of stuff that needs to be done, but for some reason we hold on to it with like a death grip because no one can do it as good as me, right? And so when I thought about it and I thought of all this stuff, it was amazing how short that list really got of what uh, I was actually supposed to be doing, and that was the basis of my very first calendar with red time and green time. Basically, I was told a long time ago, 17 years ago, if it's not making you money or by doing so will save you or your team time, you shouldn't be doing it at all. And that's as basic as it got with me for job duties. Okay? So the idea then becomes, when was the last time you went through on a 30-minute basis of your calendar and scratched out everything that you shouldn't be doing? Because I'll be honest with you, I heard Rick say you should be working 50 hours a week. Okay? Now, I do think in general that we have to do more than we've been doing. But Eric and I have a agreement with the boss and a disagreement with the boss. I think we have to be more effective in what we're doing and not add the hours. Because the assumption is I can do more in the same amount of time and make more if, if, you, if that's the assumption that we've just got to figure it out. Does that make sense? Okay. So we're going to do some table work real fast. And so I want to kind of help you through it. What page is the T-chart on? 220. 220? Or actually, no. 226, right? 226. Go to 226 real fast. 226. And you can use your phone if you want to, because I know your calendar should be on your phone. I really want to give you three to five minutes to work on this. I want you to go through anything that you can think of that is not a dollar productive activity or that you don't like doing or that you shouldn't be doing or that somebody else could do it at least 80% as good as you. Let me say that again. Something that you don't like doing, that you shouldn't be doing, is not a dollar productive activity, or somebody can do it at least 80% as good as you. And start making the list. So everything that you're, we were making this list on, the right side of the T-chart would be the things you shouldn't be doing. The left, sh- left side would be things that you should be doing. Yeah, so the question was, what's the definition of things? Uh, this is a way to dive into what you what's delegatable. If somebody can do it at least 80% as well as you, hire two and they're way better than you. <laughs> Make sense? If, somebody, if you can, somebody can do it 80% as good as you or better, assume that they can do that job full-time if you just train them. You don't have to do that anymore. Right side of the T-chart would be anything that you're currently doing that you shouldn't be doing, doesn't make you money, or 80% of it can be done by somebody else better than you, right? The left side is what you're still actively doing that you should be doing. Like, think about that list right there. What, we, what should we be actually doing? And we're going to have about five minutes. So I want to kind of bring this home, and this is really important to understand why we started with this, because from this we have to figure out the who, what, when, where, how to do the delegation part. But what the hard part is, is the next piece is if you look at the right side of that T-chart and all the things that you wrote down, there are things that you shouldn't be doing or is delegatable. What I want you to do right now is the best guess you can give, quantify that in time. I know. Just for you, whatever that means, a weekly or monthly basis, when you add up all the things that you shouldn't be doing that is delegatable, 
quantify that into how much time, if you didn't have to do that anymore, would you free up? Because we know the answer. If we could free up eight more hours, we can go home eight hours earlier a week. If we freed up eight hours, we could prospect eight hours more per week. Because the whole name of the game is doing more in less time, making more in the same time. So quantify that for yourself, because when you look at how much waste there is, because you won't let go, or you haven't learned the art of delegation appropriately yet, it will motivate you to get your butt to work, to let other people take the reins, because when you put a number to it, in hours, which it quantify, which you know translates to pay, it will change your mindset around why you should let basically everyone do basically everything else. Basically everything else. Give yourself some sort of quantity. And I'm, while you guys are doing that, I'm a, I'm a, I want to quiz Eric on this. So Nikki, in, the, in uh, the public speaking, which I thought was amazing, by the way, is she in this class somewhere? No? Nikki did an amazing job. One of the things I love that she said is, I'm always working on being a little bit better every month. So regardless of what you just did in that list, just understand that uh, I just watched him write down, what, five, seven things that he shouldn't be doing. I'm like, Eric, I thought you were amazing. And then I thought to myself, I was like, there's at least ten that I'm doing that I shouldn't be doing as well. So, Eric, first of all, identifying the green time, what would you say are your top three most important things at this stage, being a owner, branch manager, leader, loan officer, what would be the top three green times for you right now? So, for me right now, uh, number one is meeting with builders and realtors that I already work with. So, I'm not trying to go after any new realtors right now to try to expand it. I'm trying to get better relationships because I've been doing it for... 21 years and I've lost touch with a lot of people. So there's really no point in me going and trying to make new relationships compared to just checking back in with those guys. So that's my number one thing. Uh, number two, it has to be something that is based on building the branch in the business that we're doing. So that's meeting with loan officers, meeting with employees, culture stuff, things that are keeping everyone together and excited. And then number three is coaching. So I commit a day on Thursdays to coaching. So for me, if it's not one of those three categories, I really try not to do it at all. Like I won't do it. If it doesn't fit in one of those, so meeting with a borrower that wants to do a loan application, nope, I can't. You know, it just doesn't make sense for me to do that. It has to be one of those three things. My team knows it. My schedule is is set up to do those things. I learned something from Josh, I think at the last summit that was crazy impactful because I do have those different those different jobs. I'm like, Josh, you have the you have the same things, right? We're all we're all trying to get to be where he is. And he said, Here's what I do. Monday through Wednesday are the day I complete my theme days. Thursdays is coaching, Fridays is branch company building activities. So I've followed that plan. So my days look a little bit different in terms of when I'm doing the theme days, but I know that I have to get as much done in terms of personal production, business building, things like that on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and I'm coaching. So that could be someone within my branch that needs coaching, my extra coaching calls, all the stuff like that. And then Friday, you know, if I'm going to meet with a loan officer or a recruit or any, like I'm always trying to get those on Fridays and it makes it super easy for me to do. What I find myself doing now uh, that I shouldn't be doing is um, kind of BSing with people a lot, right? Like every, we're, we're trying to figure out our, our team members and the people, how you feeling? You know, it's scary and this and that. And we spend so much time on that. And something that I was reminded of uh, in our coaches meeting this morning with Rick is he's like, Tactic, tactic, tactic. You don't need to, who cares how they're feeling? You feel bad, go make more calls. You feel bad, do this. You know, like, I get too much, I try to get into the, hey, make sure everybody's happy and feeling good, when I shouldn't do that. That, that, that me, making them feel happy and feeling good, I, I'm more 
useful, giving them tactics or things to do that can go help them get out there and grow their business. Um, I've also, because uh, of a little uncertainty, right, we all feel a little uneasy, I'm following up with my team on things that I shouldn't be following up. Back to the micromanaging. So Ooh. this class is reminding me as well, like, you're doing this. like, and, and long story short, short story long, whatever, today is my boss's birthday. So it's his birthday today, Secret of Miles. So I sent a text to Andre, who's my right-hand man, who oversees, like, our marketing girl that sends gifts. Hey, did we send Aaron a gift? Let me check. I don't know. Then he's, I'll ask Cassie when she gets in. Ask Cassie. She didn't, she didn't send him a gift. I'm like, well, is he listed as a VIP in the CRM? Yes. Is his birthday in the CRM? Yes. Why didn't, why didn't it happen? But I'm not getting upset about it. I don't get mad. I'm like, you're crazy. Thank goodness he's in Vegas at a concert. So I got a couple of days to get him something to his house and he'll never know. But, uh, it just, it just reminds me that again, we have to be able to trust. Like for me, you, you have to be able to trust to delegate. And so many people, they, they struggle with the delegation because, you know, I look at it like a relay race and I've used this analogy a lot, right? You're, you're, you're the lead man. You're the first man in the relay race. You've got to run a great leg and you've got to hand that baton off to the next person and they have to run their race. You can't run next to them and grab the baton back again, you know, along the way and then give it back to them and then grab it back again. And you can't run your first leg really well and then throw it to the fourth person in line and wonder why you didn't win the race. You have to, everyone has to do it, but that takes trust. And so when something like this happens where I start feeling like, oh, do I need to check on more stuff now? It's like, I tell them, I'm like, I'm not going to be checking up on you. This is your job. This is what you need to do. And figure out why it didn't get done. We need a better process because we can't have these things happen. It reminds me, again, of, of another one of the biggest nuggets that I ever got from Josh. And it's that it's the whole, the, the first time something happens after you've told one of your team members. You've delegated something to them. You've told them that they need to do it. You've explained their job duties. And they don't do it. So the first thing you say, I'm sorry, I apologize, Josh. I thought I told you that you were responsible for the birthdays. <laughs> and you just missed the boss now. Just kidding. Um, so the first thing you apologize, right? It, it, it's on me. That's on me. You didn't know, obviously. Okay. But, but you know now, right? Like we're good. We're cool. All right. We're moving on. Okay. Next week, somebody else's birthday gets missed. Hey, Josh, I'm confused, right? I'm confused. I thought we just had this conversation and you were uh, you were going to take care of the birthdays moving forward, yet this didn't happen again. And then the third time is, hey, this is last and final. You know, we're we're, we're going to have to. You're not you're not doing the job. And that's how if if you keep allowing it and you don't move to those steps, that's really helped me to not keep jumping back into the micromanagement. Right? I expect you to do this. This is your job. If you don't know how or you need extra training, that's a different story. But if you look at me and you say you got this and I'm going to do it and it doesn't happen. That's little little broken promises, right? Breaking that trust. So I love it. So I got to uh, ask you, just out of curiosity. So you said top three for you were going to be realtors, builders, uh, culture, and branch building. Branch and so and coaching. Yep. What percentage of your time in your calendar right now would you say is representative of those three ju- job duties? Uh, coaching is twenty percent of of a day, de- and again, that's for you know Thursday. also loan officers as well. Um, 60, probably 60% is really branch building, branch business growth activities to do. And, and my income reflects and that as well. And that's including the calling on realtors and builders included in that? No. Okay. No. So, and what's left with that? 20. Okay. But I have, again, 
it's a little bit easier because I have a lot of people to call. I don't have to like think about it. I don't have to go cold call. I can make the call. This is why he should be teaching the class. Raise your hand if your top three job duties represent 100% of your calendar like I just heard my buddy just say. Okay. I mean, that's incredible, by the way. That's better than me. I'm letting you know. That's better than me. I don't believe that. Um, it is better than me. It really is. So I'm very serious about that. If you're not doing... I would, my rule of thumb has always been, been I want to be at least 80% on task on time every single week, no matter what it is. And if I'm going to drop a ball, I'm just not going to drop a ball of my top three job duties. That's been kind of my rule of thumb. If you want me to say that again, I've said it for years, I want to be 80% on time on task of everything I do on my calendar every single week. And if I drop a ball, it's not going to be my top three job duties. Think of it that way, right? Because, yes, crap happens. And, yes, there are problems to be solved. And, yes, sometimes we don't – well, my team actually does send gifts to my boss, but – um, it does happen, right? Things things happen every once in a while. And so when that does happen, the question is if you're going to be derailed, are going to be derailed off the most important things or something that can actually wait for another hour or two, right? So with that being said, the last piece here then is if you look at pages 220 to 225, and you know, I'm not going to make you do it right now, but raise your hand if you have a team of more than two additional people. Raise your hand if you have a team of more than two. Okay, cool. And raise your hand if everyone on your team makes the exact same amount of money. Weird. Okay. So guess what? The last piece of the puzzle then is understanding that uh, your team captain, who's the highest paid person on the team, should not be doing the lowest dollar productive activities like pulling credit. Just like the reason why you hired your very first employee was so that you were stuck doing the high dollar productive activities and they would not be, they'd be doing the lower dollar productive activities the same thing applies the bigger your team gets, and somehow we forget that. So the idea of having an assistant to a processor, an assistant to an LP2, an assistant to an LP1, and a team lead or team captain as you get bigger, and if you're a branch manager and owner, you might have an operations manager and so on, you have to start separating job duties and delegating, teaching them to get delegate things that are lower dollar productive activities to the lower wage earners. So that your highest dollar activity people are doing the highest dollar activities, right? So to give you an example, my operations manager should be problem solving and training all day every day. Anyone disagree with that statement? Anyone disagree with it? Okay, cool. Yet, every once in a while I catch her just doing normal processing work, right? So it's something I can keep on teaching her uh, to make sure she delegates. So when you look at page 220 to 225, that's the core versions of all of the job duties for LP1, LP2, for uh, uh, junior LOs, for LOs. And the idea would be as a homework assignment is to go back and sit down with a team lead or a team manager or you plus whoever your right-hand person is and go person by person by person to find out are, are some of your people still doing some things that they've that they should be delegating down to the next lower income earner so they can be stuck doing the higher dollar productive activities. Does that make sense? It's teaching that delegation as well to your team. It's making sure they know how to pass the, to pass the buck. Because remember, training and mastery of training is, I'm going to teach you, I'm going to watch you, and now you've got to teach somebody else. That's mastery of the, of the art. So until you can get somebody else to learn and then teach delegation, you have a master delegation yourself. Everyone follow this so far? Okay, cool. So from there, what we want to go to, and I'm going to go back and forth because I think the hard part is because loan sizes are different all over the country. 
the, it's, it's understanding where you are and what the challenges are of the team and training and delegation as you kind of grow through a small to midterm to big team, right? So just for easy ideas, what we're going to kind of bounce back and forth on is think zero to $50 million producer versus 50 to $100 million producer versus $100 million plus. Uh, if I were saying units, I'd probably say zero to 15 versus 15 to 35 versus mega team or branch. Think of it kind of that way, right? Because there are special challenges that you have to overcome to keep on growing through that, uh, specific to team and things like that. So what do you typically see as being the challenge? Because again, we got to train our uh, our MLAs, we got to train our, our people on our teams about how to delegate, right? So what is the challenge of going from no hires to one hires, what is typically that first employee and what are the things that, that you have to overcome or watch out for? I think the first thing is, is again, like you said, I hired this person, now what am I going to do? <laughs> and and I, we, we, we don't look at these, we put these in here with the job duties. And I remember you told me one time, like, my my LPs know know what their job duties are. It's like, butts in seats, 30% conversion, or what is it? You had like three things. Yeah, like somebody, it's pre-qualify accurately within two hours, update the agent same day, and 35% butts in chairs yeah. or better, or it's your job. It's a pro. So it's, it's I think we don't, as as leaders, we hire the people, but we do it because the core told us to. And we don't actually, like, say, these are your three job duties, right? Like, I told you guys, here are my three job duties. I know what my three job duties are. If you ask me to do something that's not one of my three job duties, I'm not going to be like, no, but I'm going to say, hey, you know, Brian, can you go do that? You know, here's something that I need to get done, right? I delegate or I outsource things a lot. I okay, look at- so what you just said, I want everyone to write this one down. Here's the litmus test. If you were to give Bob on your team top three job duties, and you're like, yeah, Bob knows what top three job duties were. The second question would be, if I asked Bob what his top three job duties are, would Bob say the same thing that you told me? If not, there's work to be done. Does that make sense? So Bob's my LP1. Bob's top three job duties in my mind are pre-qualify accurately within two hours, update the agent the same day, manage a 35% butts and share ratio with me. And literally what should happen is if Eric called up Bob, Eric should say, hey, Eric, or Bob, what's your top three job duties? It should be verbatim the same thing, or you can't pass, go, and go to the next step. So this is trying to, to correlate with, I love his analogy of the baton, right? Like how many of us are running alongside him, like, take the baton back. Okay, you're good again. I'll give it back to you. Or, good luck, we'll figure it out. Think about that. It starts with top three jobbies. What else would you say are issues that you really work on when you're dealing with the first or second or third hire, that young, small team? Well, one thing that I learned, I remember the first time I came to a core summit, I'd already had, um, I'd already been doing 30 plus units a month, but I had one assistant and I remember coming and hearing someone, I went to the big team class because they said, hey, if you have, you know, if you're doing this many loans or more, you go to the big team class. If you're doing this many, you go to the small. And I went in there and I think it was like Jane and Shayla or something. And they were like, and I've got 10 people on my team and this person doing this. And it was like over, I was like, why do you need 10? If I did 10, I'd do 300 loans a month if I can do 30 with one person, but it just doesn't work like that. You know? And I think the big, the big thing to, to understand is, um, we, we had an assignment to watch The Founder. Remember when we watched that oh, movie, yeah. The Founder? So one of the most impactful things of that show to me was when they were out on the blacktop and they, like, added a milkshake machine or something like that. And they had to completely reconfigure the entire McDonald's because they added one thing where most of us, when we hire people, are like, oh, cool, I'm doing five loans with one person. I'm going to add this person. Now I'm going to do ten. 
And we know it doesn't work like that. So that's the hardest part. I think that initial transition, like you get the first one, okay, cool. They're checking my emails. They're setting appointments. They're answering the phone, the stuff that took a lot of time from me that, that now I don't have to do. But then it's the next one, I think, that next two and three where it comes together between front end, back end. And, and most of the people in here have that. But as you're teaching your, your other, I mean, Loan officers that you're, you're grooming up, they want to be like you. They want to, they want to have a team. They see that. So you have to be able to say it. One of my big issues is I get people that come in and they say, I want to, I want to do that. And it's like, well, I don't, I don't do any of this stuff anymore. So I can't, re- I'm not really relevant to you. So you have to know, like, keep it simple in yep. terms of this is the duty. This is the next job. This is the next hire. And then as you get to that, you know, 50 to 100 million, it's different. It's a yep. different focus. So I want you to think of it this way, too. Three things that I always think are really the challenges. Number one, the per- first person you typically hire is cheap. Anyone disagree with that? Like, I don't really want to hire anyone in the first place, so I'm just going to go ahead and, like, spend $2,000 a month, and it's probably going to be an A player. <laughs> I mean, that, that was my experience. And so the truth is is that that's really one thing is usually when you're just starting out, and maybe you're hiring somebody for a teammate or bringing somebody else behind, the truth is that we're typically cheap with that first hire, Right. So what comes of that? It doesn't mean that they're a bad hire. The second piece is that early on, very few people have really great dialed-in training to ensure that that person becomes the A player, right? So if you think about that young team, the smaller team, maybe this is still yourself. I had a couple conversations with some, like, students that have been around a long time, uh, and we forget some things, right? It's how good is your training process, which we're going to go into in a second, right? The third thing is the ability to let go. I am a decent loan officer only because I've done a whole lot of loans over 20 years and I stepped on a whole lot of landmines and no one saved my butt. I experienced the pain and so I didn't want to step on the same landmine and that's how I learned the regulations, rules, and laws, right? But God forbid we should let everyone else, anyone else experience a landmine. Because we go jump down their throat and say, oh my God, how dare you, you did that and it blew up this deal. And we don't look at that as the learning lesson and let people make mistakes and step on landmines. That's the problem at the very beginning where right when we're starting to let somebody go, we take it right back because it's our name on the, on the, uh, on the uh, business card, right? So think about that. Now, the last piece, which is a good thing at the beginning, which turns into a bad thing is when you're a small nucleus of a team, this is familia. Right? We're like a family and we are tight and we are spending every waking hour together. And it's easy to celebrate together because we're sitting alongside each other. And it's easy to, uh, kind of spot train because I'm listening to his phone calls. And after the phone call, I'm like, holy crap, Eric, did you really just say it that way? You didn't even ask for a lead at the end of it or whatever, right? So that all is really great. And so that idea of why people work for you, uh, one of the most common answers is for the relationship, right? Guess what happens when you hire your seventh person? or your 17th person, or your 27th person. So if that's the reason why people are working with you, then you you st- uh, stand to have a lot of turnover going from that small team to the mid- or large-sized team. Does that make sense why? So that's the things to kind of watch out for. But we have to grow. So growth is mandatory. You're going to experience some pain. So now let's assume we're in that middle growth area and what that delegation uh, uh, might be different uh, as far as training goes, as far as pay goes, as far as responsibilities go. So what does that 50 to $100 million kind of look like? What challenges do you typically see from a management and delegation perspective? I think from that perspective, you really have to narrow your focus. Like, what is your focus at the time? And you have to start spending money to make money. So 
that's where you really kind of transition to that next level. I always look at, I think I heard it somewhere in the core, but the three-branch tree, if you guys have heard of that, right? When, when we first get into sales, you're a loan officer, right? You're on the you're on the sales branch of the tree. You got to be selling. You got to get a deal. You got to do this. Then all of a sudden, like, oh, man, I got a deal. Now I need to be on the operations side. I got to I gotta call this client. I got to get their paperwork. I got to meet with them. I got to sign disclosure and all this stuff. And for the majority of, of, of loan officers, other than those that are in this in this room, they constantly are back and forth between sales and operations, right? Oh crap, now I've been, I need to go get some more sales. Oh no, now I need to work on all the deals. And for me, like until I learned this, I was, you know, you'd, you'd stretch it and it's like, I got all these deals because I did amazing customer service and met with the borrowers and went to their house and did all these different things. Well, at a certain point, again, that's how I got into the situation where I was working 80 hours a week because I thought I still needed to do all those things. This is why people work with me. I answer my phone at 10 o'clock at night and I'll go meet somebody at Taco Bell on a Sunday with a 500 credit score. You know, like that's the reason they're going to work with me because I will do anything for anyone. But it's not scalable. So I got to the point when I came, you know, when I, when I got to core in 2014, I already had made like one and a half million dollars a year before. And that, at that time, people were like, just starting, you know, a couple people were making a million bucks. And I was ready to get out of the business. I was like, there's no way, I, I don't know what I'm going to do to make this kind of money, but I'm going to blow everything up. I hate this. I, I have no time to do anything that I want to do. And everybody's looking at me saying, I want to be like you. I'm like, no, you don't. You, I want to, I want to run. I want to get out of here. But the, 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 the big, point in that 50 to set 50 to 100 whatever the the number is is there's a third branch of the tree called the finance arm of the tree and that finance arm is exactly what we're talking about right now where you're paying people to do the operation stuff you're paying people like i have a guy i know that i don't like i don't like sitting and looking at P&Ls all day and doing things and i'm also a sales guy so i'm like i'll give it all away we just want to win deals right but i have a guy sitting right next to me in my office that loves that stuff and digs into it. And he was one of the first people when I when I moved companies and left as one person to start, I said, I need this guy. I need a guy. We're going to build a branch. We're going to build a business. I need a guy that can do this. And the, my my bosses were like, well, you, you, don't, you can't have that guy yet. You don't have to. It's like, no, I need this guy first. I need this guy before any of these because I knew what it takes to then go to that next level because I knew what the what the operations, what the sales, and what the finance side is. The issue with the finance side is now that you're hiring all these people, as we all have, we've paid them, we've done all this money, guess what? Now we need to get our ass back on the sales branch of the tree because we've got to pay for them. we got to, we got to sell. we got to do it. So there's this constant battle, and it's it's about as, as you grow and as you build and you move from that, I'm going to do everything, maybe I'm going to have an assistant to that next level of I'm going to have a big team, I'm going to close a lot of loans, to the, the, the third level, you know, Gavin and Josh and what I'm doing is you have to you have to find out where is your highest impact every step of the way. Whether you're that first whether you're that first level of a producer, the middle, or the next one, like they're always finding out. You know, these these guys that are owners of big companies, they're not they, they have to figure out too, right? I mean I'm sure uh, some of the owners of your companies when it was small, they were like mm-hmm. a lot more involved with you and they could talk to you and you could do all these things like Josh said. But you have to be able to grow and then have other people carry the torch to keep that culture, to keep it, you know, feeling like it's going to be good. And that's where the hardest part comes. But it's it's those three branches that you're always kind of staying on one or the other. But for, for leaders, for salespeople, for managers and growers and, and builders, we want to be on the sales arm all the time, whether that's selling loans, recruiting, building, getting in front of people that are going to give us deals. So. I think that was very well said. So what, what I heard him say is that there's got to be a 
singular focus of what the highest and best year of uh, highest and best use of your time is, but you can't ignore the other things that must be done, and that's where the hiring and delegation comes from, right? Um, this is kind of where most people get stuck, and so raise your hand if you feel like I, I've I've coined the term the idea of the dirty middle, right? The dirty middle is a really painful, ugly part of growth and business, where you're kind of outgrowing the I am all things to everybody. Uh, I am in a personal, deep relationship with every single person on my team. That's the hard part. Every referring partner, I'm in a deep, deep, deep relation par- uh, relationship with absolutely everyone and every single client. To I understand about a transition, I still need to be a relationship-based person, but I also have to allow other people to take up some slack because otherwise my service is going to dip. Raise your hand if you've been through or are currently in the dirty middle. Okay. So just understand that the faster you get through that, the happier you're going to be because it sucks, right? And so really the last 35 minutes of this class I want to focus on is like literally how do you get there? And what are the four main pieces to, to high-level delegation as far as what's required, what you need to, the skill sets you have to really focus on? Because I think if you understand what, what it takes, it does take lots of time, energy, effort, and it's constantly sharpening the tools and constantly getting advice and constantly getting feedback from your team or your coaches or your mentors but it's worth it because the flip side is once you get through that dirty middle, which lasts 30 years or three years, your choice, right? Once you get those skill sets, the beautiful thing is like, I have no interest in going back. Do you? No. Nope. Like the other side of it is, guess what you get to do all day? Exactly what you want to do, you like to do, makes you the most money, saves you the most time and in a very impactful way in a short amount of hours. Okay. So my hours, I chose to stay at 40 hours a week. That was my choice. Okay. Um, I think it's the first time I've said this publicly. I, I, my coaching students know this, so I hope I don't get in too much trouble. But I made the decision that I want to put my money where my mouth is with my wife because there's always the question of, like, what's most important, the business or the dating the wife, right? Like, if you think about it, I'm 17 years married as of June. And so I literally chose on January 1st, imagine this, in this market, on January 1st I chose to not work Tuesdays anymore. And on Tuesdays, all I do is date my wife. That's what I do. I work 40 hours a week, Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. So I got long days. So I got a whole, whole, whole lot done and nothing but that's helped me God. And if you ask, ask Nikki or anyone else on my team, I'm not there on Tuesdays. Um, if my wife wants me to do honey-do lists, awesome. If she wants to go on a date, awesome. If she says, I need to do something for myself, I go to the ranch. You know, it's whatever I want to do. But it's it's her choice first and foremost. The point is, is that how easy it would have been for me to say, oh, oh, got to stay in the office on Tuesday because of the market change, right? The assumption then was, okay, what skills I need to lean on, what people I need to lean on to make sure I keep doing this and hold my hours firm and still get the results that's required to stay a coach, right? Like one of the reasons I produce is because I got to lead by example and do the work and meet with my clients, meet with my agents and so on. And so these last four steps, I'm just going to say them first and we're going to kind of work through it and go back and forth. It's super important to understand all of it. Before we jump, I just yes. want to interject on something you said. And I think a lot of us in this room are thinking the business is down. We have to work more. We have to go do all this. We have to pound. Sorry, family. I'll be back next year, right? But what have you been doing for the last two years? We're so busy. I can't work. I can't. I gotta. I can't come home. I can't do this. And they're like, "Oh, cool. You're not busy anymore." Oh, sorry. Nope. Actually, I gotta work more now. So you you gotta really like think about that. Like we can't we can't do that. You're gonna blow up everything that we're working for if that's your mentality. And that's why when I ask that question, I don't care if you're making fifty percent less income this year. How much of that are you willing to? 
spend so that you can get to the next level, right? It, it's a, it, it, maybe this is a rebuilding year. We all know that the, the work, those of us that were in the business that we did between 2008 and 2011 set us up for the next 11 years, right? We could be right back at that. These next few years or two years or one year or however long it takes, if you stay in it and you start doing the things, but we, we should learn from our past mistakes. Like, don't repeat them. Don't, don't all of a sudden turn around and be like, back to 80 hours a week, you know, I gotta meet with 700, like you're gonna burn yourself out, you're gonna hate it, and your conversions are gonna be low, and you're gonna be questioning, what are you doing? And then your spouse is gonna take half of everything. Exactly. <laughs> Just saying. So, anyway. And then sorry. half of everything else for the next 10 years too. <laughs> Um, so let me explain the two big things that really are what prevents people from popping out the dirty mill. I've experienced both, and so yeah, this might resonate with some of you guys. So one thing you gotta fight is the urge to over-delegate too early. Like, I'm serious about this. Like, you are my, you've been my right-hand LP1 for the last five years, I all of a sudden have five people, now you're my team captain. It doesn't mean they're qualified to be the damn team captain. Raise your hand if you're guilty, you've done that before. Like, it, just because you have more people doesn't mean that you can promote people quickly. And that's a real big thing. Or the second big one for me is I got, I was growing really fast, got lots of people. Things seemed to be going well. Turns out maybe it was the market, maybe it was all the work I'd done the previous 10 years, but I actually over-delegated my relationships and I got away from the money, right? And what happened when that happened is I lost relationships. So raise your hand if you've been guilty of getting a little bit too far and relying too much on your team to help bring in the revenue, okay? So just understand that those are the two primary issues that suck you back into that dirty middle. You can't get out of it until you work through those two things, which is uh, which is what kind of segues in this last piece, okay? So the first thing that we've got to talk about is training. Training, 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 training. You, whoever you are, have been doing this a long time, and we've got some really bright, special people that work for us or that we groomed in the business for three years or seven years or 15 years, it doesn't matter, and the only way for us to go the next level is for them to be able to do what we can do, right? The only way for the LP1 to go to the next level is for, you know, the LP2 to train them or whatever that means, right? Or LP1 into the junior, uh, the junior loan officer role. The point of all that conversation is it requires lots and lots of training. And I, I love when Nikki said, yeah, everyone's looking at me saying, oh my God, you're amazing. You can do everything and it's crazy that you can do this. And she's like, yeah, but you, you forgot the last 10 years of work I put into this. Right? And I think we all have to sometimes take a big gulp and understand if you're right now have three rookie people on your team, it's going to be a minute before you can walk away. And if you've been doing this for 10 years and you still haven't been able to like move to the next level, you haven't trained enough. And that's the thing that we've got to be honest with. Okay. So my first statement is, is that if I believe after my wife, my team is the most important client to me, not the referring partner, the team is the most important client to me, would my calendar reflect that? And the way that you know if your calendar reflects that is, are you having lunches with your team individually? Are you coaching them individually? Are you are you prioritizing training? Or are you guilty of, every time you have a training thing that you're supposed to run, oh, got a contract, cancel the training. Oh, got an agent meeting, cancel the training. Oh, got this, anything to not do the training. Raise your hand if you're guilty of scheduling over training. It's embarrassing. Your number one, it's, it's be like date nights at six o'clock, you're like, oh, can't come home, honey. I'm, 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 by the way, I'm going to call it 615. <laughs> can't come home, honey. I got another loan out. Right? It's just, it's not the right answer. So the training has to be a priority. You put it on your calendar and you execute no matter what. That's the priority, the time for your team. Okay? So with that, I had a friend of mine ask me, like, what are, like, five or six steps that I go through kind of mentally in my head to make sure training is as dialed in as is possible, right? 
Um, number one is the onboarding process, the first 60 days to six months, okay? The question is, is do you have a training calendar for every new hire that's dialed in for at least the first 60 days, a goal of six months? The reason I put six months out there is I think the core does the best job with the concierge team. If you don't know this, any new concierge that comes on is not allowed to talk to a client till they've trained and shadowed for six months. Imagine that. You're going to hire a processor who can't do anything other than watch for six months. Make sense? So what is your what does that onboarding look like? Now, you say, well, I don't have an idea. Literally sit down for 30 minutes with anyone on your team and say, what are all the skills that need to be learned for every role? Including uh, what's our PTO policy? How do you sign up for 401k? What's your password? Here's why this is important. We had done this. My first tip was probably seven years ago. And I didn't find out until we did a review at the end of the training, which was a 30-day training cycle, that it would be nice if I had given them the passwords earlier than the third day of training. <laughs> so literally, I was like, oh, that's good. So I'm going to move in the training calendar, give the damn passwords like minute one. Like, let's let people access their computers, right? So, and that becomes more important if you have remote employees. Think about this. They can't do anything if you don't do the basics up front. So you make this list, you organize it, and you're constantly, every new hire that comes in, you get a feedback loop and ask, how was the training? What would you different? Was there something you did a different, at a different company? Is there something that you had learned earlier or been helpful for your job to be more successful sooner? That's just the basic thing. So start there is what's your training calendar look like? Second one is it's training forever. I believe in 15 to 30 minutes training, no more than that. I love Monday script training, so it's a tie-on onto my Monday morning meetings. I add on the last 15 minutes of the meeting is script training specifically. Um, I, lo- I love doing product training, which I have my operations manager do, uh, which is part of delegation. But what is the, the training exercise two to five days a week for my new loan officer, officers? Actually, not my new ones. All of my loan officers. I have a one-on-one call with all of them every single week forever. And my new ones are supposed to shadow me for a day a week for this first six weeks. Why? Just watch what I do and you'll learn some by osmosis. And you can ask questions about why I do it, but I don't want to dream up why I do what I do until you ask me. And I'm like, oh, this is why I've been doing this for 17 years. It works for me. You should try it. Right? So the the, the, the crutch is always, I'm not going to train because I don't know what I'm going to train. Be basic, be granular, start at the very beginning. Uh, one of the questions I was asked last night is like, well, how do you train an LP, uh, LP1 on uh, 1003? And my answer was, start with the name. Like, it's really important you get the name right. And then go to the Social Security. Turns out if you have the wrong Social Security number typed in, it screws you up and you're paying for an extra credit report. Right? So when I say, like, be really granular, start at the very beginning, read every line, explain why you're asking what you're asking, why it's important, and go all the way through it. And if you just did that, would your team not be a little bit better if you just did that with every new hire? It's a weird thing to say, but you should do it. So that's what I mean by the granular training. Third thing is expect the training to last about four times longer than you think it should. Right? Which goes back to my expectations. Here's what I mean by that. At the end of every day, I make my new teammates send me an email about what they learned today. Right? What do you learn? What do you need help with? So four basic questions. I want a feedback loop every single day because it, it gives them ownership of what I learned today, what I need help from, what resources I need. And then the last question, and number four, is how do I feel? Now, I'm not a feeler, but it's great to know how a new hire feels, right? Because the new hire feels frustrated, then I get to go in my speech of, well, look, i got to let you know that I have zero expectations of you for the next 90 days. You're just here to be a sponge and learn. After that, the top three job duties and the metrics are the things I'm going to hold you accountable to, but we're going to make sure you're trained to that standard before the end of this next 90 days. I don't want you stressed out. I know you feel frantic right now. It's a new company. It's going to be okay. 
But the feeling something we got to identify. How many of you guys have hired somebody that left like a month later or a week later, and you're like, how the hell did that happen? Right? It's because you missed how they were feeling. It's a feeling. So just ask them every day, how are they feeling? Right? After that, um, the check-ins, the feedback loop, what I do with my team is uh, every person on my team is on a rotation every Wednesday for lunch forever. I have lunch with them for an hour. So this Wednesday, next Wednesday, following Wednesday, until I go through all my team and I start back over, so everyone's going to have private time with me. The only purpose of that is for me to talk about whatever they want to talk about. I'm going to buy them lunch. We're going to get together for an hour. There will be nothing that's more important than that lunch. I never schedule over it. I never schedule over it. Whatever you want to talk about is important to me, right? So the idea then becomes I want to train, 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 and show them that it is okay to not watch my email for an hour, to have a lunch, right? I want to show them what it looks like to actually cater to your client. My number one client is my team. So I expect them to cater to my clients because their number one client is my referring partners. Does that make sense? What would you add to the training piece? Uh, actually, I got I got something from Robbie in the last class about training, and it was really cool. So he, like, keeps a, a list of things that this is something I'm going to implement of, that are common topics that come up that need training. And he has a bunch of just little 30-minute training courses to do it. We do – I do stuff more on the sales side, and then I have uh, a team captain that – you know, when a when an MLA or a new loan officer has a loan, every time they have a new loan, they say, let's meet today at 2 o'clock and have the other ones come in just to go over it. So same thing. Here's an application. Here's what you do. Here's what happens next. Look at this on this credit report. Here's what we're looking for. These are the scores. This is a derogatory. This is a collection. Love this that. is So it's. I think you have to be hands-on training, too. Um, I like doing the core open calls with the team. So anytime we get a core open call, hey, guys, you're on this coaching. Like, you don't have to do all the training yourself, but it does need to be continual, and it needs to be scheduled, and it needs to be consistent. And and oftentimes we we don't train until there's a problem, kind of like, oh, man, we should have figured this out, rather than being proactive about it. So what Robbie said was was really cool. I love that. Is there anything else you had about training? Anything at all? Hire someone to do the training. <laughs> I love it. That's fine. That's that's fine. That's fine. So next thing that was really important to both of us is culture, right? And this is why. So um, team training is something that you guys should all be taking part in. If you're level three, you should be. And there's literally one like one liner that we teach the team at team training. So for all the coaches, we know what it is. You want to remember what the one thing we tell all the team to say when they get home is? We got this. Okay, I want you to think about it. We got this. The culture of your team should be, we got this. I got a boss. I got a boss. I got a boss. Okay? So as a coach, in the coaches meeting this morning, all of us got to hear another wonderful thing that the concierge team did behind the scenes like ants that we didn't even see it happen. Okay? So everyone knows that Rick likes to smoke cigars at the fire pit. And last night, the company that was supposed to deliver the fire pits canceled last minute. Okay? So imagine this. Without Rick knowing... The concierge team went down to local Lowe's or Home Depot and bought a ton of fire pits. Those ones that were outside, they bought them all. And then they realized they couldn't get the damn things in the Uber. So then they paid some hillbilly that had a truck to bring it back. And then they put the things together out there while none of you knew and the boss didn't know either. And magically we went out there for fire pit time and there were fire pits. So the question that you've got to ask yourself is what? Would my team do that too? Right? When I think about culture, the question is, do you have a culture of an A player personality that really is, we got this. We got this boss. I got this boss. 
So where does it come from? Eric hit on something that I hope you hear, you heard loud and clear. It's all on a foundation of trust. Rick, at this point, what, 21 years later, trusts Britt and Rick, uh, Britt and Lindsay and the concierge team. They're just going to figure it out. He doesn't have to worry like he did 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 17 years ago, right? So the time piece is, you know, trust is earned in drips and lost in buckets is a real thing, but we, what we don't want to do is squash them when they make their first mistake, okay? Which Eric also alluded to. So today, he had a little loss of trust, right? With uh, His team lost it when it's like, holy crap, how do we not give the boss... A present. He's actually a VIP, right? But I, I was, I was listening. I was like, I was kind of giggling when he was saying that. Did you rip him a new one? Did you write him up? How did you handle it? I just texted him and said, "We got to figure out, you know, where this happened. We can't let it happen again." And and the, the interesting part is, I'm thinking to myself, "Okay, on Monday, I'm going to need him to bring me the birthday list for the month." So I <laughs> and I'm like, "Nope, I'm not doing that. I don't want to go backwards." And that's that's a point that you just you just kind of made for for all of us, right? Where Rick is, Rick's not all of a sudden next time we do one of these going to say, "Where's the fire pits? I got to have the fire pits. Let's make sure that we're." He's going to again. It, it was handled, so it's done. I know that those guys are going to get a gift out. Yep. They're not going to ask me what I want to send him because they know I'll be like. That's your job. Like, I'm not the, you, you know what he likes. We've got it's all about you for him. Get him something, you know? He's gonna like yep. whatever we do. So, I think that's, that's a big key and we're all probably in that mindset right now that we wanna, we wanna take everything back. We wanna do it all. We have to, we have to show. We have to lead. We have to lead by example, which I think in some capacity we do, but we also have to be able to get more out of our people than we, than we expect and, and, and they, you know, it's, it's tougher time right now. So those that want to step up and uh, as Robbie made another point, you know, lead, lead from their seat. Everyone can be a leader. You, you shouldn't have to tell them. You should, don't, don't come and ask me if you need something to do. If you need something to do, I, I don't need you, obviously, because you don't have enough work. So find something to do, bring it to me, show me that you're, you know, that team player. And I think that's the culture that that we all need to create. If you have to just tell people all the time, do this, do this, they're not, they're not the right players and they're never going to be. Were any of you guys like that? Did your boss have to say, you need to go and do this, man, you're not doing any loans. Maybe you should make a phone. No, people in this room, they, they know I'm going to go make these calls. I'm going to go meet people. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to, I'm going to take my licks. I'm going to learn. I'm going to, you know, get, get my hand on the, on the oven and, and get burned, but I don't care. I'm going to go back after it. And that's the mentality and the culture that you have to build in order to be able to do that. And when you have those people, I think the key at that point is giving it to them and never taking it back. Like you said, it's I love it. Teach the next person. So going back to the dirty middle to the mature team, okay? The A player culture is something that changes over time and it, it takes time to do so. We said don't hand off the ball too fast. You gotta train first. And the skill set that we're talking about would be twofold here. Uh, one is the idea of, you guys have probably heard from the five-minute manager, the do, defer, or delegate. You guys heard that before? Do, defer, delegate. So basically when you're getting these things that are wrecking your day, setting you off a little bit, the first answer is, if I can answer the question in the next 60 seconds, I should just do it myself. Like don't kick the ball down the road because you don't want to teach your team to kick the ball down the road, right? So if you get an email that you can re- reply to real quickly, you happen to catch the text you don't want to read, but you can respond back in 60 seconds, if you can do that, just do it and get it done with, right? If it's not something that is on your top three job duties, and this is something to teach your team, 
top three job duties, if it's not one of those things, it can be deferred quite often, right? So the response might be, hey, that's a great question. I don't, I'm not in the office right now. I, I can check when I get back to the office at 3 o'clock what time the appraisal is going to come in. Is it okay if I or my team follows up with you after 3 o'clock? It doesn't really matter if I respond back at 11 o'clock or 3 o'clock. The agent just wants to know when the appraisal's due, right? But you set an expectation and keep the expectation, right? The, the, the defer piece or the delegate piece is if somebody else is better qualified or can do it 80% as well as you, then copying in that person to teach a referring partner or teach a client to go to that person for this type of question in the future is the key. So, um, hey, that's really a great question. Look, Amanda has that has your file right now, and I'm out of the office right this second at a closing. I'm going to go ahead and send a quick email right now to Amanda. Amanda's going to uh, more quickly be able to answer when the appraisal's due. Uh, I'm going to send the email right now because I want to get your, your answer as quickly as possible, and she's the best person to go to. So copy Brian, copy Amanda. Amanda's going to respond very quickly, well before my 3 o'clock deadline, so that's that delegation piece. So it's just kind of moving that down the road. The other thing Eric touched on, though, again, and that's why I want to really drive it home, is uh, here's what I guarantee would not have happened for sure. Eric's boss calls him, which he would never do, and say, where's my present? <laughs> but you get the idea. The off client, off referring partner says, what the hell? Here's what I guarantee is the, is the key. And it's the only thing, because trust goes both ways. A teammate must feel safe if they're going to take a bullet for you. The only way they will feel safe is by you taking bullets for them. It is never, ever, ever, ever the team's fault. Hey, Eric, where's my present? Eric's answer should be, I'm sorry, boss, I screwed up. He would never throw his team, hey, you were on my list, my team was supposed to get you this, and I gotta tell you, a lot of weak ass people yeah. blame, defer, deflect their people for the problems. At the end of the day, with leadership, it's your fault always. Always, always. So, whenever there's a mistake, I'm sorry, I messed up, I told her the wrong date. I don't care. I'm sorry, I messed up, I'll fix it. I'm sorry, I messed up, it's my fault. And you don't do that in a vacuum. Make sure that the, the teammate is with you when you make that call or is copied, blind card, copied on the email. You always take the bullet for them. Always, always, always. Because now the question mark is, do we have A players or B players or C players? But if the culture that we're looking for is, I got it, boss. I'm going to handle this, boss. They're only going to do that stuff for you if they're an A player in the first place. And A players are grown. They're not really born, in my opinion. I really do think A players are people that they have some natural skills but somebody at some point, it might be you, saw more in them than they saw themselves. And that combination to me is what makes an A player. Anyone disagree with that kind of thought process? So we have to really say, man, I really see a lot in you. I think you're going to take over this company one day. I think you're going to be the next branch manager when I'm ready to bow out. Do you see the same in yourself? Man, keep doing what you're doing. I know you make mistakes, but if you ever make a mistake, I'll take the blame for it. It's my fault. I want you to practice. I want you to go for it. You do whatever's right. If you think it's in the best interest of the company and the client, you have the, the right to do it no matter what. And if you're wrong, I'll own it. I'll pay for it. It's my fault. I want you to work on this. Okay? So, where this is going to is the, um, the adult conversations piece, which is the third piece, which Eric also touched on magically in three points out of four with this conversation. The adult conversations piece is what he said at the beginning. It's my fault. I apologize. I'm, I'm really sorry. Uh, I thought that, that that I was really clear that your job duty is to make sure all of our v, VIPs get birthdays a day before their birthday. 
and that I thought uh, you were supposed to let me know a day before who I need to call because I want to be the first person to call and wish people happy birthday. Second time, I'm confused. I feel like we talked about this two weeks ago. That's the script. I, I feel like we just had this conversation. Do you need any training? Is there anything I can help you with? I want you to be successful, but the job is X. You're doing Y. I love you. I don't love the behavior. I'm confused. What can I help you with? Right? And then the third and final adult conversation is, look, if this isn't the right seat on the bus for you, you need to let me know. Because I know I was crystal clear the first time you said you understood it. I was very confused when we spoke three weeks ago when I reiterated and I, I copied this in writing. And here we are a third time. The third piece is, do you get it? Do you want it? Do you have the capacity to do it? And that's something that I think is really important as you're trying to move through people. Not through people. Move people up or out is a better way to describe this. We're trying to move them up or move them out. The final question that you've got to ask yourself with every person on your team, do they get it? Do they want it? Do they have the capacity to do it? And this is a leadership management conversation, okay? Do they get it? Have they got the right training, yes or no? Not, not, yes or no? It's a leadership question. Do they, uh, do they get it? Do they understand the job? Do I give them proper training to be successful? Yes or no? If the answer is yes, cool. If the answer is no, guess what? Your fault. Train them more, okay? The second question is a them question. Do they want it? No matter how nice they are, if, they, if they're trying for a paycheck and they don't really want to be great at this job, they got to go. Be clear. Like, if you're still paying for somebody that you know for sure does not want to be in this industry in a year and they're just kind of taking advantage of a paycheck to get through college or whatever, let them go now, set, set Willie free, right? The third question is, do, do they have the capacity to do it? Which is both a leadership and a them question. The first capacity question is, um, am I asking them to do too much? Like, literally, the old, they're a admin slash marketing slash lead intake slash my secretary slash go pick up my laundry. Think about that. If I'm asking them to do too much and they're failing, it's not their fault. I need to pair it back and, and break the job duties up into a marketing assistant and a secretary, right, or whatever. The other half of that equation is a them question. The capacity is, I hate to say it, but our business requires speed and some knowledge. And some people are not fast enough to keep up with either. Does that make sense? I think, I think one thing, too, just to, that you remind me of with this is you have to be super clear on and get buy-in that they know because uh, another example where I wasn't super clear, I had a I had an agent that uh, or a, a VIP client. Um, his birthday was last week, and and I said, hey, you know, I knew it was coming up. I said, go ahead and send him a Rogue T-shirt, like a Rogue. It's probably an XL. You know, it's, he's an XL. Send him a Rogue T-shirt. Well, we have a whole cabinet full of Rogue T-shirts that we have ordered so that we can just send them out from the office. I get an email that that gets sent to my my uh, the accounting guy ordering a t-shirt off a of rogue and he's like what's the t-shirt from rogue for like well you're buying one t-shirt it's like no so i i didn't i told her send a rogue t-shirt she did she did it she sent him a t-shirt did it but ordered one t-shirt off the site to go to his house when we have 500 of them in the office so you have to be real that's not her fault you know i had to go back and be like okay i understand that 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 again i apologize but the next time you order one off the rogue site, you know, I'll be confused. <laughs> <laughs> so, question for you then. So, with that knowledge, because you and I are bullet point people, yeah. uh, the last piece is how do you communicate effectively? What are you supposed to have done to communicate or delegate something? What's the right format? What's your format? I mean, my format is to tell them, let me show you the cabinet of rogue t-shirts. <laughs> you know, this is where this is where we keep the gifts. If there's not something in there, then we can go to the next 
So I'm, I'm, not, yeah. I'm not ever mean about it. Well, and, and here's mine, and I want to leave it a couple minutes for Q&A, too. Uh, you guys have all heard of the who, what, when, where, why, and how, and whatever is not in writing doesn't exist. We know what we're supposed to do, but we just shortcut a lot. We're all guilty of walking through the hallway and say, hey, do me a favor, call this person and do this. Raise your hand if you're guilty. Cool. So I have a different philosophy around the who, what, when, where, why, and how. I do think you should always say who, what, when, and where in verbal and written communication. I don't always agree with the how and the why. Okay? The how, to me, is based on if they're an A player or a new player. Okay? If it's a new player, I'm going to be specific and detailed about how I want them to do it. Because they don't know yet. So they need to know what drawer to go get the rogue t-shirt from. That would be a specific how for a new person. But the last piece here for that third level of leadership that we're trying to get to is the delegation by objective, not by task. But when you try to delegate by task to a, a player, you're telling them that they don't know what the hell they're doing, they have nothing to contribute. When you don't delegate by task to a rookie, you are not helping them to grow. So you have to understand, if it's an A player, you delegate by objective. So I might say to a, rook, uh, a rookie, when I started my client appreciation parties years ago with a, my, my new marketing girl, Bren, I would have said, hey, do me a favor. The budget is 5000 bucks. I want you to go uh, book this hotel uh, room. I want you to go uh, get food from this restaurant. I want you to get these client appreciation parties to be given out. I want you to get an invitation written up and let me look at it before you send it. That's the, I want all these things. Literally right now, the delegation by objective for the same client appreciation party is this. Uh, here's the budget. I'm sure it'll be great. Do you understand the difference though? And I let that creative juice of an A player go figure it out. And it's always way better than what I'd want. And if there's one small thing I would correct after it, way down the road in another meeting, i say, hey, look. I really didn't like the cigar roller that you had. I thought that three people used it and we bought 3,000 of them. So that's probably not something I would do in the future. Or, hey, the opposite, right? But it's correction. It's not stopping the flow and taking the baton back. That's the difference for communicating to an A player versus a rookie from a objective versus task position. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, the why depends. What I mean by that is most of us, at least all the coaches, we now do what Rick says because why? Because he told us to. So I'm not really sure that the why matters. If the boss says to do it, you should just do it. But you can only expect your team to do it that way if and only if you do that and you're leading by example with your mentors and your leadership. Does that make sense? If you are always questioning... Guess what you gotta do for your teammates? You gotta explain the why to them as well. So I find that the best A, A, A player teams, the team trusts the boss so much that the boss doing what's in the best interest of the team and them, that they just do it. You don't have to do the why. So that's the, my only difference on the who, what, when, where, why, and how. I think that that communication has to be both verbal and nonverbal. What, uh, what questions? Anyone have any questions around this that we can, yeah. When it's not working, do you go through the, do they get it, do they want it, do they have the capacity? How do you determine if they truly do want it? Uh, I think actions, because the question was, how do you determine if they really want it? 
I think their actions speak loudly. I was talking to somebody last night in the room uh, that uh, was talking about this really nice lady that's got some really bad issues at home. And I said, okay, give it, make sure the top three job news are crystal, crystal clear. Make sure those at least get done, no matter what. And you can give as much grace as you want as long as those are be done, being done. But if she really wants the job, regardless of what's happening at home, she'll get those three things done. If not, she doesn't want it that bad. Make sense? Cool. Yes? The like, I'm confused or, you know, like what happened? Take this one. The third thing, what, can you just like go through that conversation when you get to the third level? What is that? I mean, it's really a write-up, you know, at that point because you have to start documenting things. And for me, people that get to the third one aren't going to be around. Like, I don't get people that get to the third one unless they're not with me anymore most of the time. So you just, I think sometimes we, we hire people and... We, we want to hang on to them for a long time. We don't want to admit we made a mistake or we've got the wrong person or we want to try to fix them or do all these things. And it's all back to that, you know, 80-20 rule. If you're spending 80% of your time trying to bring up the, the bottom 20%, you're not going to have the results. If you spend 80% of your time focusing on those top 20% of people, you're going to have explosive exponential results. And what, the reason why it doesn't get to level three, he has crystal clear adult conversations. He embraces conflict. So remember, the, the people that never go from level one to level two, it's because they're all relationships and they're too nice to say what needs to be said. But if the boss, if your boss said, hey, dude, I said I want you to do this, and you don't do it, and then the boss says again, hey, man, I'm serious, I really want you to do this, and you literally didn't do it, what do you think's going to happen? You're going to get fired. That's what happens. My, my team, they, they're mortified if they do something wrong because they don't want to let me down, and they feel like I'm going to be upset. Like disappointed in them, like they're they more they have the I got it mentality. So when something doesn't happen, they'll be the first ones to own it and be like, "Oh my gosh, I can't believe this happened." It's like, hey, you know. But they know that I'm going to be cool about it. So because I'm like that, they they are more you know willing to to feel bad if they if they're letting me down, and they're not. But that's that's what I want. I want I want to be that you ownership. Know? I, I, when I disappoint Rick, it's like oh, I feel bad. He can yell at me all he wants. I don't care. But it's like. You can do better. Oh. We have one last question. We got to finish up. Last question. Anybody else? All right. Thank you, guys. All right. Well, thank you very much. Thank you, Eric. We'll be around to answer questions if you have more. You've been listening to the Core Sales Training Bootcamp. For registration information about our two-day business building summits, call one eight hundred six six zero six six seven zero or find us on the web at thecoretraining.com. dot com.